This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So this morning, um, quite early this morning, the Lord changed just a word that I, I wanted to bring to you guys and I, I wanted to speak to you about uh, our relationship with the poor. And... Uh, the Lord obviously knew that uh, he needed someone much better to, to come and deliver that message, someone who's living it. And I want to encourage you to embrace what the Lord is, is saying to us as a congregation and what the Lord is saying to us as a movement. We are in a prophetic season where God is busy breaking down barriers and walls. And uh, let's respond. Let's, let's embrace what he's saying to us. Um, I want to share another word with you that the Lord just dropped into my spirit and it, it comes from... Luke 8 verse, verse 22, and, and, and Jesus takes his disciples on a journey, and it starts off, and, and, and the verse there says, one day he got into the boat, this is being Jesus, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and were in danger. And we all know the story very well, but what is what is so fascinating about this is that Luke describes this as one day. He says one day something happened that changed the lives of the disciples forever. One day, a very particular day, a red letter day in the lives of those disciples because this day starts off with them having a very particular understanding of who Jesus was. A very particular understanding and a revelation of who he was and what he has done and what he can do. And this day brought them face to face with a massive crisis in their lives. A massive crisis. A crisis not just in thinking and in feeling, but a crisis that threatened their very lives, that threatened their very existence. And through this crisis, they entered into a revelation. Through this crisis, they entered into a life-changing experience of who God is. Where now they didn't simply believe in Him based upon words and based upon what other people were saying about Jesus. But they were now relating to Jesus based upon what they had seen. What He had done for them. And so when Jesus comes and when He walks into the disciples' lives and when He walks into our lives... And he comes and that one day arrives on the scene like he did for Kornay. One day, God dropped something into her spirit and said, move, settle somewhere else, leave your comfort zone. One day, Jesus comes to the disciples and he says to them, let us go across. And, 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 and this is always what Christ does. When he enters into our lives and when he speaks to us, he always takes us from one place to another. He never leaves us the same. He enters into our lives and he says, let us go. Let us go. One of the greatest dangers to Christianity is the spirit of complacency. The spirit of comfort. The spirit that wants us to, to, to settle. The spirit that wants us to stagnate. The spirit that wants us to remain in our, in our revelations of the past. The spirit that wants us to do things the same way over and over again because that is where we have control. But God's deliverance for us to deliver us from the spirit of control is to lead us into crisis very often. And what is a crisis? A crisis is simply when you enter into an environment and when you enter into a situation when things are happening that you 
cannot control. That's a crisis. Because you can't fix this, you can't manage this, you can't box this in. You don't know what the outcome will be. It is a crisis. And God comes and he ushers his disciples into a moment of crisis. And he says to them, let us go across. What is so beautiful about his statement to them is, and and they probably missed this, but he said to them, let us go across. didn't just come and give them the command and say, you guys must go. He said, let us go across. And this is the beautiful thing that when God enters into our lives and when he challenges us and when he gives us a word, he always gives that word with a full assurance that he will be with us. He says, let us go across to the other side. Now, what was on the other side? If you continue to read the story, you will see that there were a whole bunch of demoniac people waiting on the other side. Uh, The gospel writers speak about two. Uh, Luke mentions one. Um, but one of those guys was so demon-possessed that he had a couple of hundred of demons inside of him. He had, he had demons inside of him that were so strong that he was able to break the chains with which people uh, tried to bind him. He felt much more comfortable amongst the dead than amongst the living. He was seriously demon-possessed. He couldn't live in community anymore. He was so isolated, he went around cutting himself and screaming in the middle of the night. Those are like Nightmare on Elm Street type movies. The guy was completely possessed. But he was on the other side. He was on the other side from where the disciples were. And the disciples were never going to get to the demoniac. They were never going to get to that broken man who was so twisted, so hurt, so broken that he felt more comfortable amongst the dead. They were never going to get to him unless Jesus took them there. And so Jesus is speaking to us as a congregation and to us as a movement and to us as individuals and he's saying to us, church, I want to take you somewhere. And that somewhere is not necessarily a destination, it's not necessarily a geographical place, it is a place where we are closer to his heart. Because where Jesus was heading with them wasn't just across the lake, it was away from the comfort to where the brokenness was. It was away from their religion to where the life was. It was away from their control to where the Holy Spirit was operating. And so when he says to the disciples, let us go, I believe he's saying to us, let us go. And as it was for Kunei, so it is true for me and so it is true for each one of us that we have to engage with what Christ is saying to you and to me. Because he is saying something to us. Whenever we engage with Jesus, I I remember many, many years ago, Pastor Fred brought one of these most amazing sermons that changed my life when he spoke about Jesus, the walking man. Jesus is always walking. Jesus is always engaging with us. Jesus is always the shepherd that walks ahead of the sheep. And the sheep follow him and they know his voice. And so Jesus today would, would be saying something different to you than what he said to you five weeks ago. Unless you didn't respond to what he said to you five weeks ago then he's probably not saying anything else to you because you haven't responded to what he said five weeks ago. And so if we sometimes feel that we're stuck on, I'm just not hearing God's voice, maybe go back and revisit what was the last thing that he told you and just go back to that place. And Jesus comes and he, he says to his disciples, let us go across. Let us, let us go. One day that changed their lives. One day that they, they took them from, from being 12 guys that were following a master to 12 guys who were now believing in Jesus as the Son of God. So they set out and 
And I know that you guys are here in this room because you had an encounter with God, most of us in this room. We know that there was a day in our lives when Christ spoke to us. There was a day in our lives when we had a confrontation with God's love and His grace and His mercy. And it changed us. It transformed us. We're not the same anymore. Uh, I had the privilege of, of listening to that gentleman's testimony in Summers of the West. Uh, when Peter is the former pastor of Shofar Klutusville, um, he brought him to Shofar Summers of the West. And, and they brought this testimony and he shared about how his life changed. How he had grown up as a young man who, who was just, you know, thrown to the wolves, so to speak. And his life changed when he had an encounter with the grace and the mercy and the love of God that was manifesting through people. His life changed. His life transformed. But now his life is continuing to change. He can't stagnate. He had to take some action steps. He had to step out in obedience. And that's the same for each one of us. Each one of us here, we can look back on one days. But my question to us is this. Is this day a one day for you? Is this day a day in which Jesus is speaking to you and in which he is challenging you to leave something behind? To engage with him again. To get a fresh understanding of what his purpose and his calling is for your life. Because he says there that as they were setting out and as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. You know, obviously ministered quite a lot and beautiful about Jesus in his humanity. He was a human just like us. Was tired. And he literally slept through the storm. You know, some of us are gifted in that way. My wife understands that when she wants to discuss deep things with me, it shouldn't happen when my head hits the pillow. If, if I'm in bed, I'm, I'm a goner. All right? Don't try and have deep conversations with me then. I can sleep through anything. And I think I, I comfort myself Jesus was the same. Right? He put his head down and then he fell, he fell asleep. All right? And so he's sleeping through the storm. And this is a massive storm. It's not just like a teeny weeny little storm because the disciples, as we, as we continue there, it says that the, the boat was filling with water and they were in danger. And then they went and they, they woke Jesus and they said to him, Master, Master, we are perishing. Right? Now remember these guys, most of them were fishermen. Um, I would have understood if it was maybe Matthew panicking, the tax collector. You know, he's a bean counter. What does he know about fishing? You know, so he would be the guy to wake up Jesus. You right? No, 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 no. It was the sub, the fishermen. They, they panicking. And they've been fishing on the storm their entire lives on this lake. They get the storm. They haven't seen anything like it. It's a good chance that this storm was demonically inspired. There's a good chance that this storm wanted to keep Jesus away from reaching that young man that needed him so much. And these guys know and they understand our skills, our rowing skills, our ability to read the weather, our ability to, to just ride the storm out, that's not going to be any good right now. And so Jesus takes them into a situation where everything they knew wasn't good enough anymore. Because if they could still rely upon their own skills to get them across to the other side, then they really didn't need him, did they? They had to be confronted with what we have known up to now, what we have been doing up to now, simply isn't good enough for where we need to be going. We need something more. And I thank God that they didn't have a, a blaming committee right there. I thank God they didn't get around and, and one started blaming the other and Peter started blaming John and John started blaming Andrew. So you should have known, you should have told Jesus, you should have rowed better, you should have brought the bucket, you should have, you should have taken another boat. Because isn't that so often what we do? 
When we get into a crisis, especially, you know, it's one thing getting into an individual crisis, isn't it? You can, you can sort of work your way through that. You can fast your way through it. You can pray your way through it. You can repent. You can move on when you are alone all by yourself. It's a little bit easier to get through your crisis sometimes. But when you and your wife, when you are in that crisis together, the ball game changes. When, when you and your family and your kids are in the crisis together, the stakes are higher. When we as a whole church or even as a church movement, when we are in a crisis together, the game has changed, hasn't it? And then we have the opportunity, just like the disciples had, whether we're going to blame each other or whether we're going to go back to the one that gave us the initial instruction. And I thank God that they woke up the right person. I thank God that they went to the one that could do something about this. You know, we, we can tend to look at this and we can blame the guys because we remember at the end, Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. And we can get stuck there. But I know I've got lots of little faith often in my life. I know I'm not that much different to these disciples. So I'm encouraged that at least they took the right avenue. They went to Jesus. And they woke Jesus up. He says, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And so, so, so they engaged with Jesus as master, as, as the one that, that they were following and that they were uh, um, obeying. But it's actually a different word than the one that is used to, to translate into Lord. It's not the same one. Master simply means someone that we have respect for. Okay, but the disciples at the end, it says, Jesus says to them in verse 25, Where's your faith? Where's your faith? A storm does something to us. A storm, when it blows into our lives, it shows us the source of our faith. It shows us whether our faith is in one another. It shows us whether our faith is in our experiences. It shows us whether our faith is in our connections, or whether it is in our degree, or whether it is in our faith, or whether it is in our worship, or whether it is really in Christ. And I want to encourage some of you in this room, you are going through some tremendous challenges in your life. You are going through some crises in your life that you don't know how you're going to get through that. Embrace what the storm is wanting to do in your life. You know, for a long time, very often, I would, I would rebuke storms left, right, and center. You know, I would give the devil buck for every little thing that came into my life that didn't feel right. You know, maybe one day, I don't know, if I have to apologize to the guy, I probably... Don't think I will need to, but in any case, I've come to understand that very often I spend a lot of energy resisting things, fighting against things, instead of simply asking God, God, what are you wanting to show me? What are you wanting to show me? And and Jesus, for the disciples, he wanted to show them, guys, your faith was misplaced. Didn't I tell you we will go across to the other side? And if I told you we will go across to the other side, then I will guide you even through the gunshots. If I, if I told you, you need to, you need to start the small group, then I will protect you even in the most dangerous of environments. Because this is my purpose and this is my plan. And if you were to die within that environment, then you are going to be with me. And isn't that an ultimate prize? But the challenge very often is that being with Christ isn't our ultimate prize. Being with Christ often isn't the ultimate prize for us. And so when things do not work out for us and when things fall apart around us, then we panic. And Jesus wanted to say to them, wanted them to understand that they have your faith in me. 
Now it says, you know, this is like a weird thing. The storm came into their lives. They panicked and like screaming and like, wow, we're going to die. We're going to die. Jesus, please do something about this. Jesus speaks calm into the storm. The waves subside. The thunder stops. And then he says they were afraid. I'm like, no, no, no. You, you, time is past for you to be afraid. Jesus calmed things down. He says they were afraid. Why? Because it says they marveled, right? And that's where Marvel Comics got their old title from. They marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? The understanding of who Jesus was when they got into that boat and the understanding of who he was now was completely different. They understand this isn't just a good teacher. This isn't just a master that we follow. This guy is different. He isn't just someone that does a a few miracles here and there. He's got authority over the winds and the waves. Something shifted inside of them. A holy fear came upon them. They, They were face to face with God's power. God alone could do something in their lives. And I, I'm gonna, I want to encourage you to embrace what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in our lives. Many of us have an experience of God or an understanding of God based upon a lot of the beautiful things that we get taught in church. And that is incredible and it's powerful. But those things very often will not be enough unless we allow God to lead us into a crisis. Unless we allow God to lead us into circumstances and environments where things are beyond our control, so we can find out that He really is in control. Even when we are not. Even when we are not. But we will never experience that if we choose to stay where we are. You know, very often the Holy Spirit would speak to us. We would give us a word in worship and you would feel something in your spirit. You'll feel the anointing, and sometimes there will even be goosebumps, and, and you would know it's God speaking to you. You know, unfortunately, those goosebumps don't always follow you out of this room. That sense doesn't always follow you out of this room. And then you've got to make a decision. Did I hear God's voice, or was it just the crowd? Was it just the music? Was it just being in that environment? Or was it God? And unless you act on that, your revelation of Jesus will be blunted. And will stop and will not grow unless we act and we obey the last thing that God has told us. I'm going to just share something with you very quickly. Um, Genesis 11 verse 31. It's in Afrikaans there. I'm popping over into the Afrikaans service after this. So just bear with me. But I'll read it for you guys in English. Genesis 11 verse, verse 31. Because, you know, I understand that just like the disciples, and this is the beautiful thing about why God gives us Scripture. Scripture is so honest. You know, um, the disciples, most of them wrote the Gospels. Luke um, was a, uh, a friend of Paul, so he wasn't there most of the time, and, and Mark wasn't there most of the time, but they got the information from the apostles themselves. And what is incredible is that, you know, if, if I were one of the eyewitnesses, if I were one of the disciples there, I would probably have told Luke, Luke, you know, Jesus came, and uh, one day Jesus told us we need to go over to the other side, and we said, yeah, Jesus, that's a good idea. And uh, then the storm came, but we never panicked at all because we knew Jesus was in the boat. We just held on to Jesus, and we knew, you know, that Jesus was the one that's going to get us through to the other side. And so uh, we eventually made it to the other side. We thank God, and uh, we, no, no, no. <laughs> they had to tell Luke, Luke, you know what? We were afraid. We panicked. Why? Why, 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 why does the Bible mention those things to us? 
so that we can be encouraged. Because I don't know how often it happens here that Jesus speaks, and you know it's Jesus. I mean, you know it's not your mom-in-law. You know it's not the dog speaking. You know it's God. And you know he's saying that you need to go over to the other side. But between him speaking to you and you getting to the other side, you panic. Any, anyone out there, who, you know, in that journey, you panicked a little bit? Be encouraged that the Bible and Jesus even isn't intimidated by your panic. He isn't intimidated by your unbelief even. He just wants to lead you to a place where you can shift your focus. Shift your focus. Shift your focus to him. And sometimes it happens that we hit a cul-de-sac in our journey. And this happened to to a, a guy called Terah. Now, Terah was Abram's father. And I, I quickly want to read you the story. Terah took his son Abram, verse 31 of Genesis 11, and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son, Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. And so the days of Terah were 205 years. That's a long time to be alive. 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Right, so I think all of us remember Abram's story and we remember that God called Abram out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. Remember? That's our, our father in the faith. Now what is fascinating here is the journey for Abram, leaving earth, the Chaldeans, didn't actually start with Abram. It says here that who was the guy that started leaving Ur in the first place? Who was the guy? It was Terah. Terah started, and it says that he took Abram, his son, and then he left of the Chaldeans, and he started on his journey to Canaan. Now, Canaan was a fertile place. It was one of the most prosperous places in the Middle East. By the time that Abram eventually got there, there were already other, 10 other kings who had settled there. So, so Canaan was prime property, right? It was a place to be. It was, was everybody moved down from Johannesburg to Canaan, right? They wanted to be there. They, they knew there was a place by the sea. It was fertile. That's where you wanted to be. You want to raise your kids there. That's where you went. Right, and so, and so something happened to Terah in his heart. Now, we don't know whether God spoke to him. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But something happened in his heart that moved him. Maybe he made his, his, his budget and he saw that if he stays in the place where he is, there won't be a good ending for him and his family. Maybe he got a job offer. Maybe, you know, there was weather patterns that changed. We don't know the reason. What we do know is that he started moving, but on his way to Canaan, he settled in Haran. On his way to Canaan, he settled in Haran. In other words, he reached the end of his own strength. Now, Haran was also the name of, of, of Terah's son. And some, Bible, some biblical scholars speculate and they say that, you know, when Haran died and, and um, Terah got to this place, maybe grief overcame him. And so he settled there and he named this place after his, his son, after Haran. We don't know that speculation. What we do know is something happened, something that intimidated him, something that, that bribed him, something that caused him to lose focus because his original destination wasn't Haran, it was Canaan. But he reached the cul-de-sac. He settled there. He didn't make it to Canaan. And eventually he died there. I believe that signifies when we come to a place where we, where we act Simply on a good idea. Terah had a good idea. It was a good idea to go down to, 
to Cape Town from Johannesburg. It was a good idea. Uh, I'm surprised how often, when I was still in Joburg, people would come to me and they would inform me as a pastor. They would say, I just want to share with you that the Lord has spoken to us. And uh, we're moving down to, to, uh, to Cape Town. You know, what can I say? I bless you, brother. May the Lord be gracious with you as you, as you go. But, you know, being in some of the West now, I've had a couple of people who've come to me and said, Heinrich, please, you need to pray with us. We, you need to stand in faith with us. God will really speak to us very clearly. Uh, I've heard the Lord saying this, but I need two more confirmations whether I should go to Joburg or... <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Unless you have a word from God, just acting in your own strength and just moving on based on a good idea will not be good enough to get you to where you need to be. And this was what happened to Tehran. So there are two things we can learn out of this. The first one is that if you don't have a word to fall back on, if you don't have a word that leads you somewhere, anywhere will be good enough. If you don't have a vision for your life, if you don't have a word that God has spoken over your life about the kind of, kind of man, the kind of husband, the kind of wife, the kind of, of, of father, the kind of mother that you need to be, if you don't have a word that determines your character and your calling, then anywhere will be good enough. Then you will settle for everything. You will settle for the next best guy that comes along that treats you well, but it doesn't even know the Lord. Or you will settle for the next job that pays well, but their morals are completely skewed. You will settle for that because you don't have a word of God that is leading you somewhere. And so my question to us this morning is, what is the word right now that is driving your life? What is the word right now that is giving your life direction? Why are you in Stellenbosch for times such as this? Why are you studying what you are studying? Why are you working where you are working? Why are you married to the woman that you are married to? Why are you raising the kids that you are raising? If you don't base that upon the word of God, then you will settle for anything. And you will, you will especially settle for comfort. You will especially settle for what is comfortable. Unless you've got a word. Unless you've got something inside of you that's driving you and saying, no, 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 come on. Come on, it's Canaan. It's not Haran, it's Canaan. We're supposed to be heading to Canaan. We're supposed to be heading to the other side, not settle. Don't give up in the storm. We're heading somewhere. And some of you this morning, the Lord is wanting to just encourage you again. There were a couple of guys who reached a cul-de-sac in their lives. Moses, Moses and his temper. Remember, Moses had a good idea. He had, a, he had a great sense of justice. He saw the slavery of, of his people. And so he wanted to, he wanted to intervene and then he beat somebody to death and the whole thing fell apart because he was doing it in his own strength. Many years later, he got a word from God saying, go back, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he could go back into that environment. Many of us here, we've tried to do good things. We've tried to do God things, but it was never based upon a word of God. And we got hurt in the process. We did something where we made a mistake. And now we're so intimidated we don't want to have anything to do with God's calling again. And God is saying, I want to speak that word over you. I want you to engage with me. But it starts with saying, God, I cannot do this. It's a prayer I pray often to God. God, I cannot do this. And sometimes even God, I don't want to do this. But sometimes we have the idea that, you know, if God has spoken to you, you know, you'll be singing and jumping all the way to Canaan. But there comes a time when you've got to be honest. You've got to say, God, I am freaking out. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good word to use from the pulpit. Uh, I'm panicking. Sorry. I'm panicking. I can't, I can't see how I'm going to get through this. Lord, this wife that you've given me. Uh, it's more her that would pray that over me. Hiri man, frustrate me. 
You know, this child that I've been praying for for so long. You know, when they're all cute like little Hezekiah and uh, um, Hannah Ruth. They're cute and cuddly. You know, they're so nice. They're so fresh. They, you know, and then they start getting a, a mind of their own. They start saying no. And they start, you know, like, just like resisting you. And the flesh starts manifesting. And then you've got to know, all right, what is God's purpose? How are we going to shape this child's life? How are we going to shape what God has called us to do? Do you have a word that's directing you? Like David and his sin. You know, David just threw away so much of his life because of a bad decision that he made. And yet God has said, David, you are still my man. And he could go back to God. He could repent and God could take him through that. And so we've got many other examples. Samson and his, his poor character, Peter and his, and, his, and, and his treason. But it's important for us to understand that when God speaks to us, he speaks to us like he did to Abram, Genesis 12, verse 1. And he says, now the Lord had said to Abram, Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old. When he departed from Haran. I've come to understand something else from that story. Not just a negative bit that Terah settled. But I also came to understand that Terah, even though he settled. Even though he didn't make it all the way to, to Canaan. He shortened the journey for Abram. The journey from, from Ur to um, Canaan is about 1,600 kilometers. And we see from archaeology that traveling to Iran was about a um, it's about a hundred hundred odd what's that miles so just just a, a little under the distance about half the distance that he traveled so the amazing thing about Terah was that he came and he shortened the distance for Abram Abram could build upon the movement his father initiated. Even though his father didn't worship God, even though his father didn't acknowledge that God was speaking to him to go to Canaan, God was already busy working in Terah's life, sowing the seeds for Abram's destiny. And so when God speaks to Abram, he says, Abram, come out of your father's land. But he also says to him, Abram, you are actually further down the line than what you think. And I'm going to say to some of you guys here that God speaks into your life and you feel like you've got to start a complete new legacy. I want to encourage you to go back and to go and look at your family's history. Go and look with gratitude and thankfulness at the journeys which those before you took spiritually and physically. You will be surprised to see God's faithfulness there. You will be surprised to see how much you owe to your physical mom and dad and your spiritual mom and dad. And thank them for that. Thank them for that because they, the, the mere fact that for some of you guys, even though your parents are not agreeing with you with everything spiritually, the fact that you can be in this church is because they're paying for your studies. That's why you are here. And you better go and thank them for that. They've made it easier for you. Some of us have, have, have experienced and have received things that maybe we're not very proud of. But I want to encourage you, go back and ask God to show you where there are areas where you can be thankful. Because all of us simply build on the foundations given to us. Here's the flip side of that. I know for myself, one day, 
my kids have to continue where I leave off. And I want to make sure that I go as far as I possibly can. Because I know that when I stop and when I die, my story doesn't end there. There's a story that needs to continue. Spiritually, I'm so aware of that, that everything that I do leaves behind a trail for others to follow. Physically as a dad, I'm so aware of the fact the way that I speak to my wife creates an example for how my son will speak to his wife. I'm so aware of the fact that the way that I do my quiet times set the tone in my family for how my girls will relate to God. Everything that we do either makes things more difficult or easier for those who come after us. And some of you, doesn't matter how young you are, you've got to start to make a shift from just blaming the previous generation and saying, I'm going to be thankful. And then secondly, I'm going to start building. I'm going to start building. And then some of us who are older, we need to say to God, God, give me the grace to finish well. It is never too late. You are still here. You are still alive. You are still breathing. So you can still, even if you just take one step forward, it's one step less that your children will have to take. You know, just a little while ago, we had the discussion with our, uh, with our son that just around alcohol and just about stuff. You know, and, and, and I had to take him back and I had to chat to him. He's, he's turning 13 this year. And I had to talk about why something's permissible and allowable for some and for others not. And why it's okay for some to use alcohol and for me, I, I don't and I can't. Because I've got some stuff in my bloodline that want to trip us up. That have ensnared many, many people in, in, my, in my family. And my dad took a decision when he was 12 years old to say he's going to break a cycle. He's going to break a cycle of abuse. He's going to break a cycle of misuse because of alcohol. And because of the decision he took never to allow one drop of alcohol to come across his mouth, he's made it easier for me and my brothers to live lives that are consecrated to God. To live lives where we didn't grow up in a house where there was abuse and there was verbal abuse and physical abuse like he had to grow up in. It's easier for me. I'm such a blessed man. I'm a privileged man because my dad made a decision. He took a step towards the other side. And his step made it easier for me. And I'm living with that responsibility to understand I've got to take some steps. And so I want to just leave you guys with a few few thoughts. And we're going to pray for each other. Because God is speaking to some of you. You can go to that last slide. He's speaking to some of you in this room, challenging you to step over to the other side. To step over to the other side. My first question to you is, where have you been tempted to stop moving? In your life and in your journey with God. Where has God spoken to you? You know, in in our lives, um, when God started speaking to us, Nikki and myself, about something very specific, uh, the great thing about God's interventions in our lives, it very rarely comes in a moment like this. It's very rare that, 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 that God would speak, you know, a, 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 a crystal clear word into your heart when you expect it. This prepares the soil for your heart. And many of us, when we sit here, we hear God's voice and God does speak to us. That is true. But very often he would speak to us in moments that you don't expect. And if you keep your heart soft here, you make it easier for God to speak to you in the boardroom. And when you're traveling and when you're walking. But my wife and I, we were busy making our plans to go overseas. And I shared the testimony, the evening service, I think, a while ago. And we had everything worked out until she started volunteering at, at, a, at a place for little um, HIV AIDS babies. 
And as we started volunteering there, God began to speak to us. We started getting involved with fostering. We started getting involved with kids who don't have a, don't have a hope. And it upset everything about our plans. Everything. And God said, go over to the other side. Leave your Excel budget sheets alone about the money that you were going to make in, in America. We were heading there. We submitted this to our, our small group. And uh, Nicola and Willem, I think you guys were still with us back then. And we started praying about just what is God saying to us? Shall we take this baby into our lives? And it, it changed everything about us. But we were challenged between that moment until where we are now to, to, to did God say? Did God say, is he faithful? Can he do this? And we had to figure out the journey with God. And we had to get back to, oh God, we've been tempted at times to stop. I've been tempted at times to say, oh, no, God, this is too hard. This is too tough to fight for the poor and to fight for the orphans. And I come back to God and just be honest. Say, God, I can't do this anymore. The amazing thing was when I was that honest before God, God came and he breathed new life into us. He made provision. Some of you just need to be honest this morning. and You need to say, God, I know that you spoke to me, but sure, I'm just tired. I'm tempted to give up, God. I'm, I'm tempted to give up on, this, on the person sitting next to me and they don't even know it. I'm tempted to give up on the kids. I'm tempted to give up on my calling. I'm tempted to give up on the big dream that you've given me. Allow God just to breathe upon you. What have you heard? What's the thing that you heard God speak to you? What have you heard? Some of you need to go back to your journals. I want to encourage some of us. Many of us have got brilliant brains. We remember everything. Some of us, like myself, we don't. So we need to write things down. So I want to encourage you when the Lord speaks to you in a service like this, be ready to write it down. So you can go back and, and you can look at your words. And there are words today in my life that God gave me 20 years, 25 years ago that are coming true today. And I could pray them into being because I heard them. And what have you seen? What have you seen about God? I remember leaving a church service, a friend and myself, many years ago, we were still students. And, you know, some stuff in my heart that I had to work through. There were some anger issues. And then, as soon as we entered into his room, the Holy Spirit just hit the both of us. It was, I haven't experienced anything like that before. Nobody laid hands on us. Nobody prayed for us. But we walked smack bang into the presence of God, and God delivered me. God set me free from some stuff. And I saw his face, and I experienced his comfort. I've seen that. And so I know it doesn't matter where I am, his presence is with me. I was so inside of myself, so afraid. You know, I don't know how many of you have gone through a deliverance, a physical deliverance. I went through that deliverance process. I was so afraid. I didn't understand what was going on, but the presence of God came upon me. And from that moment onwards, I learned I can trust him. I can trust him. It doesn't matter what happens around me. What do you know about God? What have you seen? And then lastly, what do you need to do? Some of you need to go home, you need to take the phone, you need to phone your parents, your grandparents, and thank them. Thank them for allowing you to study. Thank them for giving you a good name. Thank, thank them for teaching you to be a man or a woman of your word. Thank them. Some of you need to go back to your office, you need to go and spend time there and walk down those passages and weep for the people that, that work there with you. Because you got the promotion, but that's not why you went there originally. Originally you didn't go there for the promotion. Originally, you went there because you loved the people, and you need to go back there. What do you need to do? You know. Thank you for listening. 
Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sin.